Welcome to 28 Dales Later, a podcast celebrating the landscape and heritage of Northern England. In this episode, guest presenter John Hall takes us to Whitby on the North Yorkshire coast. Three Tides is part of a small body of work from John on the Whitby Horngarth, also known as the Penny Hedge Service. So put aside the next 20 minutes or so to immerse yourself in the subtle soundscapes, interviews and narration that tell of an early medieval tradition that continues today in a quiet corner of northern England. One that involves the creation of an enclosure on the coast that must withstand the ebb and flow of three tides. The day, the day before, it's always planted on a Wednesday morning. Ascension day is the Thursday, the and I always go out on the Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, generally after say on Tuesday, and cut the necessary hazel sticks. They have to be cut with hazel. We have what we call nine yedders, they're the upright sticks, and I always put them around chest height. And then you have nine stretchers, which are the smaller, lighter twigs, which are interwoven between the upright ones. Then there has to be four forked sticks, so that you can stand them at either side of the hedge to add strength to it, so that it doesn't wash away in the harbour. This is Lowell Hodgson the court leap bailiff of filing. He's collecting hazel with which to build the horn garth. Pick it out and let you use the greenery off it at last. So I go out and come onto the wood locally, source them, and along with some, well, when you put them in, you get the leaves and the brush and everything, so keep a lot of the, it depends a bit on the time of year. If it's very early, you end up with twigs with no leaf on. This last year at Oasis has been late and it's been in May, so therefore the leaves are out. You take them along as well because you have to weave them in and into the bottom of the hedge to create an actual hedge appearance as such. So I go out and cut them on the Tuesday night, put them all the length size, and then on the morning down to Whitby for about 25 minutes to nine, with all my equipment ready and waiting for Tim to arrive. At nine o'clock we go down the steps, onto the 
little bit of mud bank where we've always managed to work on that small area there. And it takes us about 20-25 minutes to plant it. And then the, the horn is sounded and we shout out, or I shout out on ye. And back up the steps and that's it basically. Half an hour and it's finished. Yeah, that's more or less what there is to it. Really. By the time the pair arrive, about 20 of us are clustered around the top of the steps by the harbour. Allowed access, our cameras and booms reach in and peck at the chatter and shuffling, but no one gets in the way for long, because there's a job to be done. Once down there, we walk on beds of bladderack or what rock rises through them. The silted mud is rich, we soon stink of it and we'll stink of it all day. The tide is low at the harbour bank. Traffic cones have emerged like drowned steeples. A previous year's unused hazel still leans against the wall, and more, spent and collapsed, rest under a blanket of bladders and tendrils, like the limbs of a bog body exposed to air. Two men circle around each other as they work. They could be sparring. Soon the uprights are in place, the mallet taps them into the mud and the work is underway. Thumbs and fingers press and guide the hazel into a tight weave. Nails have been used in the past, but not by these two. Forks at either end will secure the work. Tested by a serious tug at the base of the stave and a shove at the top where the forks hold the spars, the hedge is approved, and for a moment it stands alone while their broad backs turn to the branch loads of flickering green. The bailiff gathers a garland of hazel leaves. Lifted as gently as a wreath of flowers, the leaves catch the sun and the wind. Still bright with life, they are draped and fixed across the completed hedge, which waits for the first of the three tides it must withstand. I went along in 1999 and helped Harry Green, who was the bailiff before me, and Tim Osborne. Tim was still was planting it then. Tim's ended up with the job because he was the only person who could blow the horn. Now finding someone who can blow the horn and blow it properly is a is a bigger problem than anything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put your right. Yes. Don't <laughs> you too close? You might start counting. Well, we have one left, so we'll use it, and I think we've got an extra one. And he's also a chairman of Stainton Dale Hunt, so he does sort of represent what you might say the hunting side of the original reason for it being. More importantly, he's keen to keep the job going. No, it isn't a... 
participation sports, you might call it. It takes two of us. It would be better if there was three, I think, really. But no, it takes two of us, and we've done it for years. I think one of the problems is it's at nine o'clock on a Wednesday morning, which is a work day for most people, isn't it? You know, if it had been a Saturday afternoon or something like that, people would have been in, could be more involved. But it's, well, it has to be planted at 9am on the eve of Ascension. It isn't a job I went and wanted to have, it's a job that I inherited with my role as bailiff for the manner of filing, you know, the, the McCart Lake work. It, it's a job that I inherited rather than pursued, shall we say. And I mean, my understanding of the Penny Hedge, if you follow it far enough back in, you know, back to the original time, the court leads were the original courts of justice that were drawn together every three weeks by the Lord of the Manor. And obviously when the three noblemen were tried and their penance was dished out, the bailiff was basically the local policeman, as you might say, if you go back you know, far enough in history. And it was his job to, to just oversee, to make sure that they turned up on that particular day and planted their hedge and checked it for three days, that it stood three tides. But I mean, I, I cannot honestly believe that it went from 1159 to 1986 without time and tide coming to its tone. I mean, the last three years, in fact, was it the year you... No, it wasn't last year, we weren't so bad. It was the year previous that we were over our welly top deep in the harbour. It's too much to believe that it went, you know, on all them hundreds of years without... And I, I mean, there's nobody around to argue with it, but it's debatable whether it was even planted during the... First World War years, I mean, there was, things were very, very different then. I'm not saying it wasn't by any means. You only needed two or three people who were very keen to keep it going, and that would be it, wouldn't it? But, yeah, the mists of time can alter things tremendously, can <laughs> Yeah. yeah. This is not old, weird England. As the bailiff says, the Horngarth is not a participation sport. A colourful legend of murder and penance endures, and may have helped the service to survive by placing further obligation and uncertainty on its executors before it passed into the care of the court leet. But the Horngarth's delivery implies more prosaic origins. There is no procession, no costume to adopt and no souvenirs. The roots of the Horngarth service are in respect for the agency of water and weather, in the name of rogation, feudal duty and civic obligation. 
Neither an effigy or a representation, the original Horngarth was infrastructure, an enclosure for goods or livestock to be built and maintained every year. The Hornblast, it is suggested, was a muster call, a works hooter. By now the poetry of ritual has wound around the plain requirements until they are inseparable. The Hazler has become more than a resource, it is a partner, resilient, versatile, common, the logical material for corrals and fencing, its leaves also stand for wisdom and knowledge, a tempering spirit alive in the water. The Horngarth is planted, not built. It is a vital thing, offered to a vital thing, not as a sacrifice, but as tribute in the form of a challenge to the non-human to deny our continued incursions into its realm. title is but they, they got involved in it a year ago since and wanted to alter, well not about alter it but they wanted to sell t-shirts and such like about it and they wanted me to be involved and I said no way I have nothing to do with that side of the job my job is to say that it's planted and that's that and they didn't quite pursue that but they come along I mean they were there last year and they always make up a, a song and sing it I have no problem with that. If it gets one or two more people in Whitby interested, you know, I mean, it's amazing how many people say to me at different times, oh, God, it's Penny Edge, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I've never seen it. Now when I end at work, you know, I've retired, I'll come down and see it, you know. Or, or last time I saw it was when I was at school, when they used to take school parties down. Old gods are stirred, if you look hard enough. Here is the Roman Portunus, liminal protector of livestock, grain stores and ports, shifting with the hazel in the bottom of the North Harbour. Here are echoes of homages to capricious deities that inhabit turbulent waters like corruptible border guards, open to offer. And yet still, 
Whitby remains vulnerable. Pub tables have been left bobbing about in seawater on Newquay Road. Bollards, barriers, laminated information announce the latest round of flood defence upgrades. In a year, in the first Covid spring, the harbour will be quiet. A recording of today's service will sound across the water from a laptop, barely witnessed, but there, moving the air around. Something happened, we'll say, the tradition was observed, and meanwhile the estuary will move and settle at its own pace. It will be as indifferent to our absence as it will be to our return, when again we will reorder its granular reductions of shells, bones and mountains with our feet, and paddle in a past of which we are barely aware, even from the furthest accessible islands of our own. It will change us, this new joint occupant of our old spaces. We will adapt and shift, move and settle in its wake. It will mingle with the folk devils and water spirits that sidle on the fringes of the crowd on May mornings as we beat the bounds and chant down the tides. Whitby trades on its history and its heritage a lot as Whitby, doesn't it? Because, you know, Captain Cook and Various, the Abbey and Easter and Dracula, your name is, it's all part of our history and heritage. And this goes back, what, eight, nine hundred years, doesn't it? Was it 1986, I think, was the year when time and tide came together and it was impossible for him to plant the hedge and they said that was it the penance was paid then it wasn't planted the following year and then the town council and various people said it seemed such a shame for it not to go you know it should continue from Whitby's point of view it, it does what it has to do. Yes, a year or two, this last year or two, it has been a problem because of the tides coming in, but you know, it, it's what the history of it says, it's when it has to be planted and everything. It was there before me, and it took me to keep it up and keep it going, until someone else takes over from me, and I will help them out with it and then hand it on to them. Yeah.
This is John Hall. Three Tides was made for the Bifocals Ritual Exchanges project. Our thanks to Lol Hodgson, Courtley Bailiff of Filing, Tim Osborne, Hornblower, Doc Rowe, and the Whitby Literary and Philosophical Society. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the 28 Days Later podcast. You can find bonus material from this and other episodes on our Ko-fi page. Go to ko-fi.com slash 28 Days Later. That's ko-fi.com slash 28 Days Later, no spaces. You can also follow us on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and lots of other sites. We really do appreciate you listening and love to hear your comments about our episodes and suggestions for where we should head next. In return, we'll keep producing podcasts and blogs about Northern England's landscapes, heritage, hidden corners, tall tales, yomping poetry, song, and the places on your doorstep often overlooked that are full of intrigue and wonder. Thank you once again for listening.